music is the wine that fills the cup of silence. This is In Search of Tracks podcast, and we don't like empty cups. I'm Pete. I'm Bob. I don't like an empty cup. <laughs> That's what's up. I love that. Kicked it off nicely. <laughs> Full surprise. I like it. <laughs> How are you, Bob? Uh, Pete, I'm good. I'm good. I, uh, as uh, you know, behind the curtain, I've had a busy couple of weeks. Uh, um, Pete, you know, I had a, a new baby, so yep. that was cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, Glad to hear everyone's healthy and happy. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's good. It's um, it's always exciting. Uh, I'm not going to get into the, the crazy details, but like, uh, it was an interesting birth uh and like no no so so the average listener isn't like oh what happened there was nothing bad nothing bad happened it just was um without in a way that isn't anyone's health in danger at any point it was more exciting than you would want a birth to be you know what i mean yeah so uh that's cool adjusting to a new um family member it's awesome feeling good it's a beautiful um, thing but you've been awake for two weeks now yo, three weeks yo now. here's the thing like you feel bad you feel bad when people say uh both both my kids have been chill they they sleep now the the new newest one she will sleep and wake up but like o- overnight like every three hours yeah. sometimes a little more like She's good. Like you can't ask for more than that. I, I think I might wake up every three hours just on my own. You know what I mean? Like yeah, no, like she's better than I. My back. Yeah, right, yeah. right. You know. So um, no, everything's good. I uh, I feel pretty well rested. I am very ready to do this recording again behind the the scenes. We're recording two episodes tonight, but um, but yeah, both of them I am excited for because it's getting back on the horse. It's been like two weeks off. What about you? How you doing? I'm okay. Um, I uh, so I don't have anything as exciting as um, a new member of the family or anything. Although mm. I do have a nephew as of about three months ago now, oh, which is yeah. cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a new member of the fam. That is a new member of the fam. Yeah, he's very cool. He's like kind of at that point where he's developing a little bit of a personality, kind of becoming a human. You know? Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Which is which is fun. You know, it's uh, it's a good time, and he lives down the street, so I get to hang out with him here and there. Nice. Um, oh, that's kind of a perfect situation, honestly. Yeah. No, it's cool. close uncle. Like, I, I like being the uncle because I feel like I like I kind of only get the good part. You know, you, you swoop in with the bag of cool. I'll tell yeah, you that. Yeah, exactly. Like diaper needs changing. I'm just like, uh, hey, brother, this is for you. You know. <laughs> yeah, dad, go take this, dad. <laughs> right. You signed so, up. Yeah. Yeah. All's good, man. Um, nice. Excited for the summer. You know, went to the beach. Ooh. Um, jumped in the water for the first time. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, it really is. It really is. I've been in a couple times. I didn't get in the last two weekends, so I'm feeling weird. But uh, I'm going to get in this week. So nice. On so, that Bob, note, why don't we I'm, get into it? Yeah, let's get into <laughs> it. I'm. I'm. So I'm really excited to hear your takes on this one um, because I know that this was fairly new to you, right? Yeah, fairly new. Entirely new? Or not just... enti- um, entirely new in a I listened to the whole album way, but okay. not entirely new like I hadn't heard this before way. You Got know? It. Uh, so um, again, uh, behind the curtains, we rarely tell each other what we think of this record beforehand, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes I have thoughts or leans or like we know a little bit. Um, typically, we say what our experience was with the record first. Let's let's kind of tweak it a little bit. 
I want you to tell me what you think my preconceived notions were or my thoughts on this band and record beforehand, and then I'll do yours. Okay. So, um, I think that you were not a fan of this band, um, Mm -hmm. in any real way. Um, maybe, uh, I guess speaking about the record, well, preconceived notions. Oh, let's, let's also say today we will be talking about (laughs) the Mars Volta album, um, deloused in the comatorium. Mm. Their so first so, record from 2003. Yes. So, um, so please continue. Yeah. Uh, my preconceived notions and or feelings on the band and or record. So yeah, feelings on the band. I, I imagine they kind of annoyed you aesthetically um, and that you weren't <laughs> super. It just was like not a lane that you would go down um, willingly. Mm. Um mm. I think, but you probably didn't pay them too much mind in terms of preconceived notions. I think listening to the album, I imagine that there are parts that you think are pretty cool um, because there's a lot of energy on this record and I feel like you might kind of jive with some of that. But overall, I have to imagine that you are not a fan of this record, but that you're going to be nice about it. You got a lot right and a few things wrong, but that's okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) Pete, I imagine that you were a fan of At The Drive-In, the band that preceded Mars Volta, Mm. and you were cautious, but by the time this record came out, you enjoyed it and you kind of signed in and were like, fuck it, for all the things that... Mars the Mars Volta is that at the drive-in isn't so you're like fuck it okay I'm in and my thought is that you appreciate this record on this listen you were more critical of it than you've ever been and maybe we're able to poke a lot of holes in it yeah um kind of the same thing as you some right some wrong but uh yeah overall all right. you got the feel all right so for me uh the Mars Volta is not a band I cared about uh, largely because I did not care about At The Drive-In. I um, remember them, remember this band coming out, and remember the excitement around it. <clears throat> I remember hearing it and being like, mm, not really for me. And I'll, I will obviously get into that more and more. Uh, this is the first time I really sat with the record, gave it the headphones. Listen, it's been played in my presence, uh, kind of uh, you know, in a workplace uh, it was a pretty hyped record at the time. A very hyped record at the time, and um, and yeah, like in a in a big way, not like not some underground like hey in this small nook and corner of a world. This is like a hey, this is coming out and they're playing it at every record store kind of record. Yeah. So that is my behind the scenes. So you're you're very largely right on my predisposition and uh, how I felt about it beforehand. You know, I didn't feel too strongly, but I think what we lose is at the same time as the Mars Volta, there's a couple different waves of popular rock music going on. Um, And I'm saying popular, meaning mainstream, that they never get grouped with on either side. And that is the like strokes world of lo-fi, etc. Because sonically, they're not there. But aesthetically, they're leaning into that. 
and then the weird swoosh hair emo world <laughs> and subsidiaries therein where they might have more commonality sonically than um, they would want to admit to, but that I bet a lot of people in that world have no problem having a Mars Volta sticker on their guitar case. So we'll get into that more. Tell me about your prior experience with this record. So I was not an At The Drive-In fan. Oh, um, bless your heart. I uh, I had heard them. It just never really stuck. Um, I remember they played all the time. I feel like they constantly were touring. Yes, they were. Um, and I feel like numerous opportunities. I was about to go see them to see like other bands that they were playing with, but I just never did because I never felt strongly enough, really. So, so we should pause and just say the... At the drive-in record, relationship of command is that yeah. right? Yep, came out in two thousand, uh, an age where both of us were super, both young and active in music and actively going to shows of all sorts. I feel like I saw the like tour ad mat, which was the album cover of this. Mm-hmm. Like it might as well be like taped on the inside of my like. Uh, bathroom door because I just saw it so <laughs> often. Like, yeah, they toured all the time on this record and it just seemed like uh, you could trip off the curb and fall into a at the drive-in show at the time. Yeah, that was a very big record. And not only did they tour everywhere, I feel like they they played like small, weird places. Yep. So it's it's not like you had to go to the city to see them. You know, they'd play in like numerous shows within suburban New Jersey that nobody else has played since probably. Right, um, right. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, I wasn't even really a big fan. I I didn't dislike them. I just it didn't really click with me. So, um, this record, this was kind of around Napster era. People were still downloading music oh, yeah. in that way, right? So, um, I remember I was hanging out with a friend of mine, and he had downloaded like basically demo. Ver- it was like the unfinished version of this album. Mm. And it was only like four songs. Half the vocals weren't even on it. You know, listening to it after the fact, uh, like numerous tracks, numerous guitar tracks and drum tracks may have not been on it. It was an incomplete recording, but right, um, right. the I liked it. Um, I was into it. It was kind of, it felt like something I hadn't really heard before, but I liked how proggy it was. Um, Mm. I've mentioned on previous episodes, my dad was a big prog rock fan. So I was kind of steeped in a lot of that stuff early on. Um, and I feel like it kind of shaped a lot of my musical interests over the years. So, um, it was cool because it felt like contemporary, but also felt like proggy and kind of throwback in a way. So, um, I was a fan kind of since day one. And then, uh, record came out i was really into it um i was in a band at the time called kamikaze um the album came out while we were on tour and i bought the cd and played it a lot and everyone in my band hated me for it so uh that's kind of my story with them and i i uh i kind of followed them since then um you know whenever they put out a record i'd i'd give it a listen um saw them a few times they were i thought a great live band a lot of people thought they were very messy um mm. and kind of chaotic which i liked about it some people i guess dislike but yeah so i'm a fan and uh that's my story all right well yo so um i'm excited to come at this from a few different angles i have some questions for you <laughs> let's go 
Hmm, I'm trying to think. Based on what you just said, your your background in prog rock. Yeah. What do we call this? Like, if we were going to genreify Mars Volta, Deloused, what are we? How are we? What's the genre? Uh, because I don't think it's fair to call it prog rock because it's not it's not prog rock in the traditional sense. Yeah. No, there's heavy prog influence, but it's there's not heavy prog, prog influence. But it's it's not that. I don't think this is post hardcore. No. I don't think this is metal or punk. Nope. I don't, you know, where I landed was calling this progressive modern rock. And that might feel unfair, but the sound to me is big, big enough for big rooms and arenas. And sonically production wise has more in common with radio rock of that time, say 1996 to 2004 Mm -hmm. than it does with any independent music or underground stuff or anything else. Now it is progressive because of what they're doing with it. But I, you know, and, and, and as you mentioned, there are prog influences, I think in structure and goal. Okay. You know what I mean? And then yeah. um the theme elements. Theme elements all and, that and just stuff. you know and, and wanting to play with stuff and saying, Hey, let's 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 decompartmentalize, let's not be so married to structure and form, but let's be sure that we do follow some tenets. you know, I'm so the prog- progressive part I'm I'm okay with, but I don't think it's we can't just call it prog rock. Like you can't say, Hey, check out check out ELO. And uh, and then maybe throw in this like Rush record, and then just check out this uh, this Mars Volta record too. Like it's like <laughs> wait, whoa, 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 whoa. one of these things is not like the others. Yeah, where do you fall? Where where, where are you genrefying? So I agree with you on the title. You said progressive modern rock. Yes. So I'm with that. My my pushback though is that I do feel like there's elements of punk and post hardcore. Yeah. That that are at play here. And I feel like that calling it progressive modern rock doesn't really incorporate that in any way. Um, there are right. parts of this band that I feel like firmly come from punk, hardcore, underground, counterculture, whatever you want to call it. No question, right? Like, like so these guys came from at the drive-in who uh, nascently come from the underground punk, hardcore world sonically uh in my opinion moved well beyond that but but people would place them firmly largely speaking in the post hardcore genre yeah um with their own you know slider on it right that said <clears throat> i agree so how do we do this um uh progress pro- uh, here we go progressive <laughs> postmodern rock let's go with that all right like that's it. where we're going because i kind of alluded to Sonically and musically, I think this has more in common with Coheed and Cambria and My Comical Romance than the post-hardcore sound that that we on this podcast and others of the underground will reference, such as Quicksand, Helmet, even even something like Tool. I don't think this has too much in common with. But then when you look at Coheed and Cambria, they've got a lot of those more progressive and noodly guitar stuff. My Chemical mm-hmm. Romance, I think some of these vocals are really in that world. Um, 
and those are concurrent peer group bands to this, yeah. maybe right following, but really right in the same pocket. And this is where I say, hey, <clears throat> these dudes might have been wearing you know, secondhand Williamsburg looks from 2001 and 2003. But re- maybe they would have been more popular if they swooshed their hair down and, you know, wore, <laughs> you know, had some cool colored fingernails. I don't know, you know? You don't like the afros, Bob? No, I do. I, I mean, I actually, <laughs> you know, visually they've got a cool look. I think... I'm just kidding. Yeah. I know. I know. Well, no, you know, it's funny because I just think they ha- they had their such a look. Their aesthetic and look led them, and it's funny because clear that that can be said for many popular, you know, pop artists. Right. Their look, their aesthetic leads them. You know, think about Nirvana. You might think of their music. You might think of the cover of Nevermind, but then you're going to get a visual of what that band looks like. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I bet my visual is so close to what your visual is, which is so close to what 80% of this audience is. You know what I mean? Like, there's just a few of those shots. And with uh, the Mars Volta, we certainly have that. Whereas sonically, I think, and, you know, Cohen and Cabria had some pretty luscious locks too. Um, That's true. But I I don't ever hear those bands thrown in the same book together. I, I, I think that people talk about Cohen and Cambria in the same kind of sentence as Mars Volta a lot of the time. And I okay. do sonically, I do think that they're definitely comparable. Um, yes. My chemical romance. I've never heard a single, my chemical romance song, so I can't even speak. I to know, that. We never got to that. No, but the, uh, it came from New Jersey. We're going to have to make that, make that change. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. But you have to have heard some of the radio songs. I'm sure that I have. I just, okay. I don't, I don't know what they are. Right. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I know that um, Cedric, the singer of Mars Volta, always, always, always references the band Brainiac. Oh, um, yeah, as as his like primary vocal influence. Um, which, if you ever go back and listen to Brainiac, which I did just because I was a fan and you know was sure. interested, it's it's all there. I mean, he he pretty much. I think he has a lot more range than. Uh, the guy from Brainiac, but he definitely took a lot of the kind of cadence and cues, which is interesting. Well, I can see that. And, <laughs> you know, I, 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 in the nice things I will say about the Mars Volta and this record, and, um, and I mean, you know, let me extend this to at the drive in. I think that it's likely more influential than people even give them credit for. Uh, I believe that if you are a fan of underground music or, or aware of the independent music world, Equal Vision Records should probably send Mars Volta a check because half the bands on their roster from 2003 to 2007 were trying to do this. Yeah. You know, they all had this like uh, wavering between um, ambient, soft to noodly guitars to mathy parts to chaotic parts with aggressively. Mm, singy vocals for lack of a better term right now but but vocalists who could actually sing as opposed to either traditional punk or hardcore uh, it's like a scream that occasionally hits notes here and there um, <laughs> whereas i think you know mars volta really the obviously cedric this dude can sing you know what i yeah. mean yeah like, dude's got chops he can sing uh and if for for better or worse i think they 
led people to a niche like hey you can you can do this you can you can rock like this and people will will go with it um, absolutely to me vocally i'm not in love with it it's just not um i can acknowledge that it's highly competent and well done but also say that it does very little for me um sure there's a couple moments and i actually will highlight those where i think it hits and i'm like oh okay I would have liked to have seen a, f- a little bit more of that, but <clears throat> additionally, that would have taken it out. And and uh, you know that's that's my commentary across this sort of like time frame and sort of style was was like a lot of times the vocals, despite being objectively well done, don't fit the music in a way that pulls me in. And to be very frank have a pop vocal production uh, feel that pulls me out. Mm. Whereas it, it isn't necessarily like it's completely on top, but it's up in the mix. They know that there's something there and it makes me go, okay, so you, you've got the pop vocal um, production style on this. So I know what you're trying to do. You know, this isn't, these vocals are not mixed down in, aren't, aren't blended below the guitars. You know, it's like, nope, here's the vocals loud and clear. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I mean, the, the, one of the reasons that I think of, I, I, I often in my head lump them into the prog category, I think is because prog to me is something that it's like, it's one of the few genres of music where if there's nothing there for you, like there is like nothing there for you like there's you know like if 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 you don't see the appeal in king crimson like you could listen to their best song their worst song all their it doesn't matter like there's just nothing it's it just sounds like noise you know um and i think the mars volta it's not just the vocals although those are definitely something that i could see being really grating to people it's everything surrounding it as well. Um, you know, if, if I don't know, I, it's most genres of music. I feel like any, you know, average music listener can sit down and say like, Oh, you know, like this is, this is cool. I like this part or whatever. Like if you don't like the vocals on the Mars Volta, for example, it's, it's going to be really tough to even get through a few songs just because they're so aggressive and in your face. Well, and, and, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, we should, we should actually do a whole episode where we piece together prog rock and look at it and like, <clears throat> like, like really diversify it and go prog rock and pick. Cause you, you, you reference King Crimson. I'm like, oh yeah, there, there, that, that's certainly <laughs> in the, in the world of it. Um, yeah. and I reference the LO who again, also in the world of it, but very, very different sounds. You know different. what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. They, they actually have hits. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. ELO is, has pop sensibility out to yin yang. Um, but we should talk about that because I think to me, <clears throat> I very much make this weird, like, yeah, but when I hear of modern bands, like like post, I'll say even post nineteen ninety bands who get the prog label, yeah, and that might not be fair by me. You know what I mean? Um, because I might be self limiting the genre, 
but to me, there there certainly kind of has a little bit more of a time and place. But I could be wrong about that, and I, I think that that would be a fun conversation. Like, like is Prague Rock a ever evolving inclusive genre that everybody wants it to be, or is it more a specified like time, era, and range, which a lot of people I think would apply it to. You know. Yeah, I might, I might uh, vouch for the latter, but we'll have that conversation at some point. Let's do that. So, um, right. so, so let's uh, let's just go through some quick details here. Yes, please. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the Mars Volta, um, they started in 2001. Again, like out of the ashes of at the drive-in, um, at the drive-in put it put out a record called Relationship of Command um, in what 2000, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of just imploded after that. Um, I think Cedric Bixler Zavala, who's the vocalist of Mars Volta and Omar Rodriguez Lopez, who's the guitar player, um, apparently had, uh, really intense creative differences with the other guitar player in at the drive-in that guy, I don't remember his name. He started the band called Sparta. Um, and That's then right. these guys started Mars Volta. Um, so they, the Mars Volta put this record out in 2000 three um which was their first full length they had an ep before this right um called tremulant but it really didn't hit and it wasn't as focused as this so this was really kind of their breakout um then they broke up in 2013 um and they actually just put out a full kind of um career spanning vinyl box set so they've been kind of the talk of the town again in certain circles because um you know whenever whenever they put out kind of a career spanning anything, it's always with these guys, the question is always like, are they going to start playing again? Um, so we will yeah, the see. demand is there, right? Yeah. Post COVID anything can happen now. <laughs> anything can happen. Um, so why are we discussing this album? I think two reasons. Um, we had a few people that asked us about it um, through our socials, which if you aren't following us, um, be sure to follow us at TraxPod on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, Where can they email and, us, though? Oh, they can email us at TraxPod at gmail.com, Bob. Super easy to remember. TraxPod on Instagram and Twitter and TraxPod at gmail.com. I love it. Yeah. Um, the other thing is we're always looking for records that we are unfamiliar with. And I think Bob was a little less familiar with this one. Um, and we have some records coming up in the next couple of weeks that I am personally less familiar with. So mm. yeah, it's always, it's, it's meant to be, uh, you know, exploratory. We're looking for new things. So we thought this would be a good one. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, Mars Volta, this is their debut album. This is also, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, still their most popular album. Yeah, undoubtedly. I think oh. The, the the hyper fans sometimes say that uh, Francis the Mute, the record that came after this, is the best one. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the argument. But but yeah, this is definitely the one that if you, if you know one album, you know this one. Okay. So and all the hits are off of this one. I think all of their like Spotify popular songs are off of yeah, this record. Yeah. So <clears throat> let me get right to brass tacks. Who's this for? Like, <laughs> who's this for? I have an answer, but I want your answer. God, um, it can be for a few different types of people, I guess. But um, I think 
I think anyone that has any familiarity with punk or hardcore can find something here. I think anybody, even if you're like, a, actually, you know what? Jeez. All right, Bob, I don't have a specific answer because right, I, honestly, specific I, I, answer? No, I honestly think I was thinking through it. And like, I think that if you're just like kind of normie Foo Fighters fan, I think you can find something here too. Um, so who is it for? People who wanted more at the drive-in or at the drive-in <laughs> fanfic. Oh, that's so easy. God okay. damn it. <sighs> that's who but this is not, for. But it's not just for those people. Uh no, because they because they, they I think they they the Mars Volta has a much larger audience than yeah, at the driving. Yeah, I, I think point. they sold like five hundred thousand copies of this record. Yeah, um, that seems crazy. Uh, uh, it's crazy. Um, it's really bonkers. It, it's it's a very popular record for a record that I think is significantly denser than than it is easy to get into. Um, you're not wrong. A normie could find stuff they like about this. You're not wrong. A punk or a hardcore kid or just like a deep music head, they could find something from themselves. If you want me to be more broad and and less dismissive and say this is for people who love at the drive-in and wanted something after, this is for young people who are very new and looking for something new. I have. All right, let's let's just get into it. <laughs> I think you know who I actually think it's for, Bob. Who's that? Regardless of age, yeah, people who smoke marijuana. You think so? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Really? See, I would think there's parts of this that are just. It's hard. It's not like jarring, but it just. Um, I guess it's a certain type of uh, marijuana smoker. Yeah, I, I don't know. All right, it's like it's like gamer. Marijuana smoker. Okay. Okay. You know what? Yeah, you're right. This is for Twitch streamers. <laughs> this is for Twitch yes, streamers. Exactly. The like 2 a.m. manic Twitch streamer who's who's smoking uh, big doinks. Okay. So yeah. Um, and I like it. I'm not on Twitch and I don't smoke marijuana. So I don't know. Maybe I should try all of those things. Maybe you should try all of those things, but only at 2 a.m. And you also probably should be drinking right. a big gulp, like a, a, a giant <laughs> a, a soda larger than your head. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Let's go. <laughs> these dudes said that they had some problems records produced by rick rubin true uh, if you don't know who rick rubin is you probably found our podcast in a really weird way because the dude's like that dude produced every big record in the 90s it feels like all this nonsense um they apparently took credit took issue with some of the things that he did to the record um the quote here taken from the Aquarian Weekly in 2008. Rick really oversimplified some of the parts that we thought were unique and just made them very digestible. He's got this thing about representing the common man's ears. I'd rather jab the common man's ears. If we don't, <laughs> we'll never get to a place where future music exists. Right. Pete. Pete, ready? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, is future music code for trying to harness traditionally non-pop music elements into a format that co-ops them for commercial success. True or false? True. Ooh, you, you, you see that, yeah, it's a where's the lie situation. Yeah. 
No, I mean, that's funny that you take that quote in that way, because I read that quote and I thought to myself, like, I, like, I actually I, I get it. It's it's super pretentious, but like, I yes. get what he's saying. I get I what mean, he's saying, too. And this man, this man is pure pretension. I mean, let's like yes. just put that right out there. Right? Correct. But, yeah. So that's so that's the thing. The quote doesn't bother me because. So some of the also it's it's five years after the record comes out. So any any talk about the record is uh, in any sort of public forum is is positive for them. Um, yeah. It's it's done with a sense of theater that you have to appreciate. If you like, this band is nothing if they're not pretentious. This band is nothing if they're not theatrical. They are presenting, and they're the, the, some of that pretense is the attraction to this band for a large swath of their audience. Yeah, the representing the common man's ears. I'd rather jab the common man's ears. Okay, let's talk about Rick Rubin, <laughs> <laughs> because yes, you're totally right. He has done quite a few um, pop, you know, popular records. Let me see what he's got here. Let's see. I want to see a full Rick Rubin list here. Oh God! All right, Rick Rubin, Slayer, Beastie Boys. Yeah, like like okay, Slayer, Rain and Blood. I don't know if that's the common man ear. If it is, bless you. Season of the Abyss. Danzig to Lucifuge. Now that also uh, Nine Inch Nails further down the spiral. I guess someone could say, yeah, like that does that's that's like a super popular record. That's also very aggressive. Yeah, <laughs> you know? significantly less pop accessible to me. Mm, no, I wouldn't say that. I think Nine Inch Nails just they just were better songwriters. Um. Anyways, this is a dude who was known for his ability to produce big records, good records, popular records, but also a lot of aggressive records, even in that same breath. So it's kind of interesting. It's funny. It's kind of nose in the air and it's kind of funny to do that to Rick Rubin. Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, I wanted to be like, man, future music, future music. You're saying you're talking about future music. I, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> really rubs because, you the wrong way. It was just because I'm like, man, like I get it, but I, I don't, I don't think they rewrote the seven commandments here. You know what I mean? I don't, th- I listen to this. I hear some cool elements and getting into my thoughts on the record as a whole. I hear some cool elements I hear them pull in a few unique elements to a thing. I don't find this record to be objectively challenging. That said, it's 2021. (laughs) You know, so this record came out in 2003. Yeah. I think it was influential, but it was influential in a genre of stuff that I also found I was nonplussed by. I was like, okay, like... Like sure. Cody and Cambria, maybe to somebody who's listening to the Foo Fighters exclusively, you'll be like, whoa, oh my God. Like, you have to be the most vanilla, tan pants in the office, three button polo wearing uh, Foo Fighters fan to hear the Mars Volta and be like, <laughs> like have your hats like fly off your head, you know? Yeah. Um, I am sure there were people who had that feeling. Otherwise, I think that it was a lot of theatrics for young people who were finding a music that felt new or fresh. Because I won't say that it didn't feel fresh. It just didn't feel 
ultimately challenging or to the level of future music to me. And like, sure. yo, let me say this. I'm not an at the drive-in fan. I would probably give that future music credit to at the drive-in over Mars Volta because I think <clears throat> they did a lot of stuff that got, that had a lot of attention Maybe not as much as Mars Volta, so maybe Mars Volta platformed that higher, but right. they were doing something that felt a little fresher in their space than Mars Volta at the time. Sure. I, yeah, I mean, I won't go on too long. We should get to the track by track. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I, you didn't expect me to go so No, no. It, huh? I, see, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I'm with it. Um, I think – so I will say I felt like at the time it 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 felt fresh. Um I think if you go, you know, 2004, 2005, it doesn't feel fresh anymore because at that sure. point there were a ton of bands doing the same thing. But at the time, following in their fresh. wake, following yeah. in their wake. And I also will say that um, I saw them live on this tour, and it it was I I don't even want to sound corny about it, but it was like explosive. Like they had there was this energy, and for me coming from punk hardcore, um, there was like this technical efficiency where they were just like playing in these time signatures and you know doing these jams that like felt like I, I i felt like i hadn't ever seen anything done live at that level before but it was done with like this kind of like hyper punk like crazy manic energy um that was that was super appealing to me yeah um and i think that brought a lot of people in i don't think that they would have had the effect that they did had they not been such a strong live band. No, but, and, and like but, quite honestly, but, they're they're bringing that to a space that didn't have that kind of energy. Very yeah, well. exactly, exactly. And I think the the future music thing, like, I think see what I got out of that quote is more like it's it's not about like we are creating quote unquote future music. It's like like if we aren't doing what we think is. If like, we are pushing this down the, the, the road, envelope, no and, and yeah, and the way that we think it needs to be pushed, then like right. there's no there's no like future for us as a band, kind of thing. Well, um, well, and and I mean, <clears throat> the, the space and place of rock music in pop in pop culture at large right now, yeah, seems to make a pretty solid argument that they weren't a million miles off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Quick question for you. Sure. Is Deloused in the Comatorium, your favorite record that Flea plays bass on? Because <laughs> he yes. plays bass on nine of the ten songs. It's it's solidly behind, uh, man, um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. No. One Hot Minute, Californication, By the Way. See, this is why we have to do Red Hot Chili Peppers Stadium episode. Arcadium. Ah, that's it. There we go. <laughs> um, all right. Mars Volta, uh, let's do this. Sold over 500,000 copies. Pretty big. Um, do you want to go track by track? Let's go track by track. Um, 
Sonnet Lumiere. It's the intro. Uh, it does have a little bit going on. I'm totally whatever on it. I think it's fine. Yeah, it's cool. I consider the first two tracks one track. Right. Um, I would if I didn't if I wasn't insulted by the fact that that would mean that there was uh, only <laughs> one song on the record that was under five minutes long. So um, I appreciate the fact that they separated this one out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Inertiatic ESP. um so if you've heard one mars volta song it's probably this one correct um yeah Uh, i mean i like it a lot um it's four and a half minutes long which makes it one of the most accessible songs on the record because all of the other songs are much longer for the most part um what did you think about this song bob um well i Wanted to let you know that that would place it at <clears throat> just in the middle of the typical song length of an at the drive-in song off relationship of command. Okay. Um, I think this is a certainly a keeper. <clears throat> oddly, I mean, oddly, quote unquote, their most concise and memorable track. I think that means something in the context of this record. Hmm. Uh, and it's the song where you go, oh, if you've heard a lot of the man, I, you know, it's, it's hard. Like the underground rock or indie or emo or whatever, or punk adjacent music that was not going for spastic punk energy. That was trying to be a little bit more tuneful or, or melodic. Uh, this song and this band are more influential than you would think. And that this song really lays that in first first out of the gate so this is a keeper true keeper um roulette dares the haunt of so this one keeps the energy going um but i think there's a lot more dynamic here um than mm-hmm. uh inertiatic esp um mm-hmm. there's a lot more play with kind of the soft and the loud which they they do yep. a lot more on the rest of the record but they really kind of give you a taste of it here Um, the guitar lead part, um, with like the charging kind of mathy drums in the middle. Um, it's kind of this insane buildup. I, I really, really love that part. And that's like, that's what, that that, was my note too. That's a thing that like they can do that nobody really at the time could do in that way. Um, and it, it just like technically and musically kind of, I think sets them apart or set them apart from you know, the rest of their uh, contemporaries at the time. So I think this song is really good. It's not my favorite song on the record, but it's definitely a keeper for me. Uh, I like exactly the part you were talking about. There's a a little jangle in the guitar that is rare and plays so well in the context of the song. Uh, Pete, this song's seven minutes and 31 seconds long. How is this song seven and a half minutes long? Um, It doesn't feel that long to me. Um. There's a redundancy somewhere in this song, but they keep bringing it back to this soft, quiet, soft, loud dynamic. Yeah. That <clears throat> over the course of the past 15 years, and in some corners of the underground music scene that you and I come from, uh, it feels spent. But I'm not mad at it. I don't. This song just drags to me. I, I appreciate what they're trying to weave together here. And I think yeah. there's some parts doesn't get me on this. I'm cutting it. Sure. Okay. I mean, the, the, I will say just the, 
just talking about the dynamics again. And yes. this is not just this song, but throughout the rest of the record too. Correct. Like there is this, when it gets loud, it's this kind of loud that like you can't have it on as background music. It kind of like demands no. that you like listen to it and pay attention, which is, which is kind of cool. It's hard for a record to do that still. So, well, and, and, and you don't hear that. So, so what you don't hear and it gives this record a unique thing is that you don't hear records that like to play with that element of soft loud. Yeah. Have the loud be so dynamic that it makes you pay attention because what they want is they want to give something for everyone. Now, for some people, that might mean that they have nothing for no one. But for others, <laughs> they might be pulled in and go, yo, I, I really vibe on this. So I, I, I do appreciate like this. The competency is extremely high throughout this record. And as we'll get to on the next few tracks, maybe not the next one, but the one after that I want to talk to, the musicality is, I mean, it's it's notable. So, yeah. all right. Um, Tira me a las arañas. It's an interlude. It's water. Yeah, it's cool. Interlude. It's like weird, off-putting guitar space track. Um, it doesn't. There's a little a- bit of American folk into it, uh, yeah. and then it hits in that like spacey modern. I'm not offended. It's a minute twenty-nine. I'm keeping it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, records like this, I feel like you need bridge tracks, and this one, this one works. It's cool. Bridge tracks Keep between it. the six-plus minute songs. Yeah. Um, drunk ship of lanterns. So this is kind of a more percussion-driven kind of groovy track. Yes. Um, I feel like this is where you really get like some of the like Latin influence um, mm-hmm. that they were doing that you know most other bands, Coheed and Cambria included, like were not doing. Uh, this I is mean, kind of like, almost exclusive. Like, like yeah, that's like exclusively their kind of style. They should get real note. You know, there's there's a couple bands we talked about from the '90s who pulled some of those strings, but it feels so different than than uh, what the Mars Volta were doing here. Yeah, um, this one again, I think, has like a really really great kind of mathy buildup in the middle that gets into this kind of psychedelic freak out. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the outro. It's kind of like it makes me. It kind of harkens back to like a like a traditional hardcore breakdown in a way um Uh which i think is fun um it's very long this song though isn't it it's like is this one of the longer ones no Uh, no. this isn't even one of the longer ones this is a breeze at 620 (laughs) Um, pete i wanted to ask you a question i like this track though i'm keeping it what you're keeping it good yeah by this point in the record i noted are these songs or should we call them something else and and i want to be be fair there's a lot of connective tissue 
even in the long songs. This yeah. doesn't feel totally like two different songs or like here's a song and then here's this bridge and here's kind of a different song totally, but we've taped them together. Not like that. But they also are progressive form speaking, uh, taking apart typical song structures, stretching them out. Feels like they kind of return to a little bit of the spaciness or the ambient style as a like as a home base. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> this song goes different form than than a lot of the others. Um, it's blasting. I said there's different percussive elements. Like there's a lot going on here in the percussion. Yeah. Would this be a fun song to play on the drums? I could not play this song if you paid me. It's like, this is like so much going on. I mean, this is what makes like John Theodore, who's the drummer uh, for the Mars Volta on the first three records. And then I think they kicked him out and he joined Queens of the Stone Age. So I think he's currently Mm. in Queens of the Stone Age, but he he's a monster. Like you have to have the right players to play songs like this. Right. So so what I call this. Pete, I, I wasn't going to call. Uh, at first, I called it workshop music, and that's not right because it's not the <laughs> kind of music you'd play in a workshop. No. This is eclectic musical workshop. And I said, there's lots of cool pieces. There's lots. Like you said, like the, the drums are wild on this. If you just isolate, I bet you could find a, a YouTube feed that just has the drums off this song. Yeah. That'd be an interesting listen. Yep. But what are yep. they all doing together? I don't See, know I, that there. I I think there's an interesting tension here between one, the the band, two, the producer, three, the production on the record, which I don't love overall. I think that some of the guitar um, production was too big for the room and would have been interesting to pull it back a little bit or make it a little a little gnarlier actually, and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, as I mentioned, the, the pop vocal production. Um, in this song, which is six and a half minutes long almost, there's a lot of cool pieces, but I'm not sure what they're all doing together. It doesn't feel as cohesive as I would want, which means I think there wasn't a strong editor in the room, be it in the band or be it the producer themselves. Interesting. I'm not so on I'm, that page with you, but I, no, but I okay. feel you. I'm cutting it. Um, okay. <laughs> Area Tarka. So you go first on this one. Okay. So this song is where I really am like, okay, they f- they're they falling back on the spacey kind of atmospheric thing. And it certainly is thematic. Mm-hmm. And at times across the record, it feels like a crutch. However, here, I think it's stronger. And I think there's a dynamic between the faster parts and that airiness. My biggest gripe with this one, Pete, how long is this song? Seven minutes and six seconds. It's it's just dragging to me, and it just I'm almost completely lost at this point on the record, and I really really was trying. And this is one of the songs where I liked some of the elements, but I'm it's not for me. So this is one of my two favorite songs on the record. Okay, um, this it might be. I, I have to just say the caveat, it might be some um, nostalgia because this is one of those early kind of Napster demos that I had. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, this song specifically. Uh, yeah, this song specifically. So, but that being said, it kind of has everything that I really like about the record, like the dynamic 
between the soft and the loud is like very present on this one where totally uh, the verse is kind of this spacey kind of like mellow jammy feel. And then it goes into this like crazy frenetic chorus. Yes. Um, I really like, I really like a lot about it. I think it's really catchy. I love the drums on it, which like, I'm just a sucker for that stuff. No, the Um, drums on here are strong too. This track does have, I mean, it's hard because coming off drunk ship of lanterns, which I caught, where there's so much going on in the percussion. Yeah. He pulls it back into the pocket and still is going wild. Like this yeah. doesn't, you said you couldn't play drunk ship. This song doesn't seem like it'd be a, a, a breeze to play either. In in college, this is one that I spent a lot of time trying to, trying to figure out. I ultimately got it, but nice. ask me to ask me to do it now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're keeping this. This is one of your stronger, stronger tracks. I love this song. Yeah. Keeping it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cicatrice ESP. So how long is this song, Bob? 12 well, minutes and 28 seconds. Yeah. So, so here we go with the falling back into that space in this, this song. I, I think, uh, the prior song area Tarka is, is better by a significant amount, they have bigger, more big rock courses on this song. Yeah. And then it fades out around six and a half minutes. And for the next six minutes, <laughs> it's kind of this interesting spacey part. And there's so then it kind of picks up a little bit more. It feels a little directionless, but also like you, you mentioned the word jam before very jam band feel right here. Yeah. And to pull that in to the, the rest of the song sound that they've developed this far in the record is, is at least interesting. So I'm going to only give them a light. How dare you with the 12 minute (laughs) song, but it's a light because it's really like a six and a half minute song. And then this jam, and I'm not offended by the jam. I'm pro jam. Um, I think it's, I wouldn't have thought of you as pro jam. Oh, I'm pro jam. Okay. Jam. I, I, because of the energy with it but to me you know what a jam needs it needs a vibe yeah and you almost need to build like i'm a very traditionalist jam the jam can meander and oscillate and go back and forth and come in and fade out and get big and go small but you eventually reach a crescendo and potentially a destination yeah and the song that follows this doesn't feel like the destination of said jam. <laughs> it just feels like, okay, and now we're done with that song. Here's the next song. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I gave this half cut. Uh, the half cut is the first half of the song. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you're only keeping the jam. I'm keeping the jam. <laughs> keeping the jam into like, I mean, see what I like about the jam is that I, I think it does groove and then, it kind of falls apart and you feel like, well, that's the end, but they actually do. They do bring it back around. No, I think Um, I see that whole part. I actually found like this. I'm not gonna. I won't be. It's dismissive of me to say this is the most interesting part of the record. It's not the most interesting part of the record. We've identified it several times. The way they play with the soft and loud and quiet and, um, it's a unique version of that. That's the most interesting part of this record. In my opinion, this is my personally favorite part of the record. Cool. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm cutting it, but, but I like that part. Half cut. Yeah. Half cut. Half cut. Half X on my notes. (laughs) 
Alright, this apparatus must be unearthed. This is my only cut song, Bob. Only cut? Well, we, we balance out pretty well, then. Yeah. Um, I really like the outro. Um, I really like, there's this part where it's, it just mm-hmm. sounds like, <clears throat> I don't know. It just sounds like chaos, really. Um, it's this really a- off-putting kind of outro that they do that it's hard to explain. You'll have to listen to it. Or no, I'll, clip I, it I, I'll clip it in here. But Clip it in. Yeah, but... Uh, Overall, this song is like it's it's doing what all of the other songs do, but just not as well. Um, I don't think there's like any really catchiness to it. It's it's not a song I ever go back to. So, yeah, cut. Do you think. To me, there's parts of this record where they are conscious of keeping the at the drive in fan engaged. Um, and again, that's a big that's an let me pull back and say this is not an accusation. Yeah. As a listener, I find that there are this is not the natural evolution of what what the a person who listened to at the drive-in would have expected. This is a unique project. It certainly has that, but there's three songs-ish mm-hmm. and maybe parts and others. So the three songs to me uh the the first song Inertiatic ESP has a little bit of it. This song more so feels like an attempt to woo the at the drive-in fan and then parts of the final song which we'll get to have that same thing yeah this just feels like a not particularly dynamic attempt at that whereas i think inertiatic is they're 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 able to say hey <clears throat> yeah 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 we're we we did that band at the drive-in you liked us but we're doing this new thing and here's the new thing and yeah, it makes sense. We were we were in that band, so we're doing this new thing. It's new, but you'll you'll be able to recognize us. So yeah, um, this no, I'll song ride, just I'll ride feel, with that. Yeah, this feels a little bit more of a clumsy version of that. Agreed. Um, Televators. Televators. So this is really like the ballad of the album. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like the calm before the storm of the the final track on the mm-hmm. record. Um, I like it. I think it's a really nice song. Um, it builds in this like really cool way. There's really minimal percussions. There's lots of like shakers and kind of oh. kind of auxiliary percussion, which is cool. Pete, I um, love when we are on the same page in these weird ways and say yeah. it in such different ways. It's great. So continue. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but but that's it. I mean, I feel like they 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 could have this record could have benefited from more songs like this to break up kind of the the mathy kind of chaos yes. of the album. Um, uh, I like it. You're keeping Keeper. it. Yeah. 
I said you were saying, uh, you know, percussion's not all all there. It's like a little sparse, we'll say, shakers, et cetera. Uh, I said it was soundscaping a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the best vocal melodies on the record by far. Sure. And it's hinting at that pop accessibility in a strange format, you know, um, because we're saying this is kind of the ballad, et cetera. It's still fucking six minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, Pete, I'm keeping it. Sick. Um, as a as a Mars Volta fan, I just have to throw this out there. I'm probably speaking to like three people in the audience. <laughs> um, but uh, they did a record 2009. Um, it was their second to last album they did. It's called Octahedron. Uh-huh. I fucking love that record. And it's, I think, universally probably the least... The, the record, the Mars Volta record that people like the least, but it sounds to me like an album of this song. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Which, 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 you know, for me, I, I, I think it's great. So, whatever. For what that's worth, if you dig this song, uh, check out Octavidron. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, I will. All right. And the closer, Take the Veil, Serpent Cast. Serpent Taxed is the main character of this theme album. Is that correct? Correct, which we, we didn't even mention. We didn't this, is, this is a concept album. This is, in fact, a concept album. I think it's based off of um, uh, someone named Julio Venegas, mm-hmm. um, which was a friend of theirs who passed away, I believe, um, in San Antonio, Texas, where they're from. Or El, El Paso, Paso, Texas. Texas sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where they're from. And... Uh, yeah, it's uh, you wouldn't get any of that from reading the lyrics, but that's apparently the case. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think of this song? This is tied with my favorite song on the record. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, good. I think, as I mentioned, I think there's at the drive-in elements here, but also maybe this is what they were going for with the band in, as a whole. The song is eight minutes and 42 seconds. There's some of that soft, loud tension. It descends into this unraveling, but pulls it back together. I'm cutting it, but there are parts that make me go, this song hints at what they could be. And more than anything, I feel like this record feels really bloated. I feel like upon listening to it, fresh ears as a whole album sitting with it, mm-hmm. there's, it's very clear to me that they were given free reign 
And that's what's why it is what it is. And yo, it sold 500,000 copies. This was a huge success. <laughs> this is right. a giant band who this is their biggest record. So who the hell am I? That said, I think there's elements all over this record that are interesting, kind of cool, some shit that doesn't work for me, but that I can acknowledge is like, okay, this is something for someone. But I I have a hard time thinking about who I could hand this record to and go, yo, check this out. Unless they specifically liked some of these artists that we've talked about. <clears throat> Even records that I think play with certain elements, that chaotic, some of that soft, loud. Um, but the last song on this record, despite being eight minutes and 42 seconds long, a solid three minutes too long for me. And that means I'm saying, yeah, maybe make it around 540. Still a long song. This is the song where I'm like, hey, this is this is something I think you could play for someone and they'd be like, oh, what what's this band all about? Oh, interesting. Of all the songs, this one. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed that. But yeah, I mean I I, well, I mean I think- really it's it's inertiatic, but sure. Um, <laughs> but th- this is the next. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I mean I I get all that. I think that if if you like what they're doing, um, which I do, yes, I feel like this kind of does it all really well. Yeah. Um, the the chorus is great. the 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 jam is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of nightmarish chorus or verse is great. Yeah, like, there's an ugly part to it that's really cool. Yeah, um, it's got like kind of that Latin tinge as well mm-hmm. in certain parts. Um, and then like, you know, again, it kind of falls apart and then goes into like a really strong outro. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a super strong closer. I really, really like this song. Again, it's tied with area Tarka for my favorite song on the record. Hmm. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, to your point, like, I feel like I've always been a closet Mars Volta fan and it's, it's for exactly that reason, because like, I don't really even know who to talk to. <laughs> about them too right like, right like i don't really feel any kinship with like any mars volta fans um because i feel like typically they're into a lot of music that i'm not right um it's kind of like it's like i feel the same way as a tool fan like i love tool but i don't really want to i mean i mean i'll talk about it but who am i going to talk about it too you know yo it's it's uh actually i got one person i i, I will put you in touch with on that but no it's, it's you're not wrong um it's really interesting because who are we've mentioned some bands but i don't think any of these bands were their peers this band feels very singular in a way even apart from the bands that they may have toured with or not you know what i mean yeah yeah um yeah i feel like they were like wrapped up with I mean, a lot of the like gold standard laboratories records yep. GSL. stuff, which, mm-hmm. yeah, which, which I, I believe, uh, uh, Omar was one of the owners potentially. He Am was I wrong? involved with it at some he point. He was involved with it somehow, yeah. but like, but I, I feel like they were wrapped up with a lot of those bands, which a lot of those bands don't really even necessarily sound anything like this. A lot of them, <laughs> no. I, I feel like are on kind of like the dancier end of the spectrum. Way more on the dancier side or like super aggressive or, I mean, yeah, that stuff was all over the place, and um, man, we could talk about GSL at some point. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot there. There's um, a lot there. So, real quick question, yes. Bob. Yes. What do you think of the cover art on this album? Um, hmm, 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 hmm. What do I think of the cover art? Um, 
It's not off-putting. Do you like it? No. Question mark. <laughs> no, I don't. And but I don't hate it. And it has this weird kind of like B movie horror movie kind of feel, sci-fi of the like pop sci-fi 60s stuff that at least is sort of interesting, but it is an off-putting image. Yeah. I um, hate the artwork, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I like I, I find it actually very off putting. So on a scale of one to ten, you're giving it a I mean a one for the cover art. Yeah, yeah, one. Okay. I would give it I mean, here's the thing. My initial gut reaction was like, oh, it sucks. But the more I was looking at it, and I'm like, okay, like some of the depth of field stuff I like, I actually like that the sure. light beams out of his mouth into the sure. corner. Um I like the silver background and and the the kid kind of tucked in the back but uh golden egghead dome on the plate no not really feeling that and the the back cover which is kind of it's it looks very similar but it's like it's like an octopus head it's like a (laughs) Uh head with like half underwater um apparently that was actually supposed to be the front cover but the record label, for whatever reason, put the egghead on the front and the octopus man on the back. Interesting. Um, so for whatever that's worth. But do you know who did the cover art? I don't. Storm Thurgerson, um, who did many, many, many albums, including Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Really? Yeah. Okay. And if okay. you this is, this is actually, this was a learning experience for me because I didn't know this, but... Dude, Storm Thurgerson has done so many album covers. Really? Oh, okay. And, and I see, you know what? If you look at that back cover, that is a Storm Thurgerson cover. Wow. Yeah. Like that could be a weird, like, oh, that's the, if you told me that that was the 2008 Pink Floyd record, I'd be like, okay, sure. Yeah. No, wow. I mean, dude, this dude did Zeppelin, Presence, Song Remains mm-hmm. the Same, Enter the Outdoor Coda. He did like tons of Pink Floyd Man. covers. Fish Records, wow, yeah. parts of the project. Cranberries Records, wow. Yo, Robin sh- Gristle. Yo, shout out to this dude. Yeah. R.I.P. Um, died in April of 2013. Yep. Like an incredible, like, wow. Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap album cover. Yeah, it's wow. bonkers. This is absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah, this was a fun find for me because I I was like I know that name. Why do I know that name? Did and the then cover I, for Bad Company. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 Pretty amazing. This is fucking wild, man. All right, he did. Wow. Wings. Uh, yes. Yeah. Rainbow. Yeah. The this police. is amazing. He did a lot of work. A lot of things that people would be like, oh, of course. And I've heard that name but I wouldn't have been able to tell you what it is, who he yeah. was. And then you look at this. So shout out to storm Thurgerson. Yeah. RIP. RIP. All right. Um, yeah, but I don't love the album cover. I like the back cover a lot more. It is more disturbing and weird, but yeah. Amazing. Um, All right. So what are you going to rate this Bob? Well, Pete, there's a few things I think about factors. Maybe. <laughs> that I bring into mind. Is this record too long? Pete, it's too long for me. Is it That's too fair. long for you? I don't think it is. I'm with it. You're with it. Are I'm you with okay it. with I, the general I, length of the songs? 
I am because they don't feel that long to me. Um, I also, I mean, again, I, so I, I have a tolerance for prog rock, which I, I know that we're not putting it in that bucket, but I'm, I'm kind of putting it in that bucket. No, that's okay. I think that's um, reasonable. Yeah. Um, and you know, aside from the one song that I cut, which I do think drags yeah. overall, I think there's, there's enough variety here and there's enough energy here and there's enough dynamic here that it keeps me interested throughout. Okay. It is too long for me. I think that was my biggest, probably my biggest complaint was that I just felt like some of these tracks could be cut to three minutes and they would have been really exciting. Now that changes the dynamic of this record quite a bit. Yeah. But I have to say this intro 135 uh, interlude 129. I'm going to take those two out. Here's the song lengths 424, 731, 620, 706, 1229, 458, 619, 842. So I appreciate that they didn't do that thing that makes me crazy when I see it with bands with more concise catalogs where it's like three and a half, three thirty, three thirty six, three forty two, three thirty, three thirty one, three I'm like, yo, you need you need to do better at songwriting. These dudes are <laughs> clearly like uh not on some hey, here's the form. They're they're breaking it, but I, they need an editor. Um album flow, does it feel disjointed or slapped together at all? So this is where I get to say, no, it doesn't feel disjointed or slapped together at all. It feels very thought out. It just maybe too much, maybe too, too thought out. It's too much music. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, no, I you, agree. I think you would it agree. flows really well. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there's the flow is not the problem. And, and I'll be the first to say it. I think you could, I would call into question in song flow. Uh, but outside of the jam leading to a song that I didn't feel like it was like, I don't think it peaked at the the end the close. Um, song to song flow, I think it's not a problem. Um, quality of the songs and the lyrics. We've talked about this lyrically. Does this hit you in any way at all? No, and that's that's one of my big problems actually. Is that you know it's it's meant to be this whole theme record. I just again going back to the pretension. Um, I feel like he's Cedric's lyrics are kind of like uh, Jeff Tweedy from Wilco in a way who I, I also really like Wilco, yep. but like Jeff Tweedy. And the reason I mentioned him is because he has explicitly said the way that he writes lyrics is by like, he comes up with kind of a phrase that he thinks is interesting sounding and, and then he'll plays just kind off of that. build, he'll build around it. Mm. So like it's, it's, it's admittedly nonsense. Um, and like, <laughs> right. which is, which is fine. Cause a lot of the time it sounds, it sounds really beautiful. You know, it, it might sound really poetic, but like there's just, there's nothing about the lyrics here that like matter to me in any real way. Um, and I, and I do like lyrics. Like if, if, if they speak to me, um, it, it brings me much deeper into the record, but it's one of those things that kind of keeps me away from, or not away from this record, but like it, I, I, I feel like I would, I would uh, hold this record in much higher regard were I to be able to like relate to lyrics in any way. Um, it's kind of strictly a musical interest that I have in this record, which, which I think is like unfortunate because I, I feel like they could have brought it to that next level in a way. Um, I think that 
Yeah, um, there's there's turn of phrase stuff that he does very well. Um, you can pick that up on the at the driving material as well. Um, you, none of it sticks with me too much, but um, Pete coming from a world where lyrics mean so much. Yeah, at some point, sometimes lyrics just are mouth sounds on top of music. Yeah, and uh, and that's not a good sign. You know what I mean? If if it isn't hitting you or you're not taking it in then that doesn't speak well for it. Timelessness. Um, this to me feels of a time and place, but its influence grew and spread much, much further. So there is an element of that, even as a non-fan that I have to acknowledge this band and likely specifically this record have some timelessness. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I mean, I think again, like that vinyl box set being released, I was, I was shocked at how much interest it, it garnered. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a reason for that because they kind of, of this type of this kind of genre of band, they are like clearly kind of head and shoulders above most others. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's aged well, I think it still sounds somewhat contemporary. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. I think to me, the production is not, um, it's not bad, but it's just not what I, look, I'm sure. just saying if, if Cedric wants to go back in, um, it looks, sounds like he wasn't super happy with Rick, what Rick did. Let me know. Uh, I'll text me. We'll figure something out. <laughs> you know, I don't even really need a big title on it. I'll just, I'll just help you cut, cut some of it. Um, yeah. Pete, what are you giving this album on a whole on a criteria that we've developed out of one to five stars? Bob, I'm going to give it four stars. Damn. Yeah, this is a big one for you. I love this record. I am glad you love it. Although I I, I agree with you on some of the production things. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I, I, I mentioned all of my kind of criticisms of it, but all that being said, I think it's really strong for what it is. This is going to be a really fun one to think about posthumously because I think we align in a lot of ways on stuff. And even on some of our notes we talked about, um, we had similar thoughts about strong points of the record, but I just had no sentimentality or attachment to this. And it just, I think my distance from the vocals uh, mm-hmm. pushed me away. I think some of the song links and just not... Not not really just feeling immersed in it. Um, I'm giving this one star. Wow, yeah, that's the that's the that's a first in in search of tracks history. I kept the intro, Inertiatic, <laughs> the interlude, yep, the jam part of <laughs> Psychotries <laughs> and Televators. That's amazing. That's right. Yes, um, Bob, I think you should listen to Octahedron. I, I am going to actually because I'm curious to hear where they went musically and uh, and just to see their trajectory because based on the Mars Volta versus at the drive-in and that kind of push away from that while also retaining some of the elements that felt intrinsic. Yeah. I'm curious to see where this band evolved going down the line. Um, so I will, especially if you say that the song Televators, which, you know, if you listen to that song, I think there's some undeniable vocal hooks and melody that are much more attractive than a lot of the rest of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm curious to hear it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot there. Cool. I will One not star. Be, I'm with it. I will not be adding this to my collection. 
Um, but I'm pretty sure you already have it in your collection. Am I right about that? I do. And will you be adding the uh, Mars Volta box set, which is available from Cloud Hill Shop, uh, as it's being advertised to me on the Discogs page incessantly? It's uh, it's already in this room, this very room. Bob. Wow. All right. Yeah. Are you? Are you? Wh- what do you rate the box set? One to five. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's a five. It's I a mean, five. If, awesome. If you're a fan, they they did it right. The fucking That's mastering the is impeccable. The packaging is great. It's it's a beautiful thing. <sighs> Love a good reissue. We're gonna do an episode on reissues and the do's and don'ts at some point. Um, yeah. Pete, thank you. This was fun. Even though I gave it a one, I enjoyed the experiment, and it's given us at least two episodes to do uh, just out of this. True. Yeah. No, this was fun. So, uh, yo. Give us your thoughts, all of you listening, um, at TraxPod on Instagram and Twitter, and write us emails at TraxPod, sorry, TraxPod at gmail.com, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.